Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. The moment the water runs dry, the people turn back to what is already within their hearts, and that is the issue of rebellion. And never satisfied, never satisfied with what God has provided for them, never satisfied with the miracles he's displayed for them. And the moment the water ran dry, this thing inside of them just erupts. And it's discontentment, it's rebellion, it's sin is what it is. Being grateful and being satisfied isn't something that you see very commonly in our society. In fact, every advertisement we see on television or read about in a magazine is specifically designed to cause us to not feel satisfied with what we have or what we've been given. The children of Israel who wandered in the desert for 40 years weren't any different. Pastor James takes us through a couple of scenarios today where the Hebrew people were unsatisfied and ungrateful with what God supplied them. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Numbers, chapter 20, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We're in the book of Numbers. We're only going to cover one chapter. That's going to be it. And because it's a big chapter in the book of Numbers, it's a big chapter in the Old Testament, really. Um, You got a a, just a fascinating little scenario that happens here on the journey, uh, the wandering through the wilderness. And chapter 20, there's two monumental things that happen. Well, technically three. Um, You have two deaths and then uh, just a complete... Uh, faux pas from Moses. <laughs> so um, this is where it happens. Verse 1 of chapter 20, it's, it starts out in the first first month of the year, okay? Um, first month of the ancient Hebrew lunar calendar usually occurs within March or April, okay? So just so we understand that. So the first month of their year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. All right. So once you go from chapter 19 into chapter 20, you, you fast forward into the future, so to speak. Like years. You cover years. Well, years that are like not recorded of anything that was happening. And I can fill in the blanks for you probably. Whining and complaining. Okay. That's probably what was happening. A lot of walking, right? Um, wondering. Just wandering around. Uh, man, I'm so glad that uh, we're spared a lot of the details in that sense. And that's kind of nice. I don't need a day by day, you know, Moses checking in with his daily diary of like, well, they're at it again. Um, they're trying to kill me again. We, we, we understand probably what was going on. But from chapter 19 to chapter 20, uh, chapter 20 would be the 40th year of the wandering. Okay. So this is it. Like, the, you know, what, what God had placed upon them, you'll wander around for 40 years until that older generation dies off. Chapter 20 is where that is, that happens in one sense. So, so you start off with chapter, chapter 20, verse 1. Miriam, Moses' sister, Moses and Aaron's sister, she dies and was buried. And there's really not much, uh, not much detail that's given into it. I think she was just in, she lived a long life. I mean, she's 100 plus years old. She just, that was it. And that's what the Lord had for her. And uh, 
And she went and died and was buried and was probably with the Lord. And they uh, would obviously, it doesn't include it in here, but we'll see with Aaron, they probably had a mourning period for Miriam. Okay, so in case you don't know, Miriam was, uh, man, she was uh, the, the bigger sister to Moses, right? Like she's the one who's like, you know, keeping an eye on him when he's in this little miniature ark, right, that uh, his mom had made for him to put him in the river, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him, and, um, you know, it's his, his sister who's like, oh, I know a Hebrew lady who can nurse him, you know, and uh, she always had her eyes on her little brother, you know, and just kind of watching his back. She was the one who wrote a song when they passed through the Red Sea, got to the other side. There's a beautiful song that she had written concerning that. Um, she's a tremendous lady. She also gave her brother some headaches, because that's what good sisters do. She was part of this little mini rebellion that both her and Aaron were guilty of, rebelling against their brother. Uh, we actually went through that in the book of Numbers. But despite all that stuff, she's a good, faithful woman who loved God. And she was right there with her brothers, leading this rebellious nation out of Egypt and to the promised land. Like, that's cool. You don't get here a lot about Miriam. Uh, there probably should be more, you know, said in an appropriate amount uh, about just somebody who's just faithfully consistent and is there. And looking out for the needs of, of others, especially within her family. So she got to this ripe old age of 100, and 100 plus, and she died and she was buried. And... You have to keep that in the frame of your mind when you, when you read through the rest of this chapter. Because uh, I have a sister. I have one sister. And she is only a year older than me, uh, which meant she was a tormentor of me growing up. Um, that's, I was her punching bag uh, for most of my life. I was her food source. She would steal my bottles, uh, drink them all, and then my mom would be like, this kid's never growing, right? Like, what's wrong? Well, it's because my sister's stealing all the, all the food. Um, that's what she's always done. If my sister were to ever pass away, it would hit me tremendously. Okay. We're, we're tight growing up. Uh, we have two older brothers, but they're, you know, not much older than us, but they're older than us. And so we, her and I were really tight growing up because we were just always in the household together. Anytime a family member dies, especially if it's a sibling, it's going to impact you in a certain way. And there's stressors that come with that. There's grief that comes with that. And sometimes considering Moses in the leadership position that he is in and the weight of responsibility on this dude's shoulders and then his sister, and yeah, she's older, and that's how what happens, but it still doesn't make it easy. So I have a little grace for Moses in that, you know, he's going to disobey God. That's not right. But we also have compassion for this guy who just lost his sister. And he's dealing with these rebels who won't stop complaining. And yeah, he probably lets it get to him, but we'll, we'll get there in a second. Here at verse 2, there was no water for the people to drink at that place. So what? They rebelled against Moses right, and Aaron. So here we are again. There's no water. You think in 40 years of wandering through the wilderness... And God always providing for them, not just food, but also water, that the moment the water runs dry, the people turn back to what is already within their hearts, and that is the issue of rebellion. And never satisfied. Never satisfied with what God has provided for them. Never satisfied with the miracles he's displayed for them. And the moment the water ran dry, 
this thing inside of them just erupts, and it's discontentment, it's rebellion, it's sin is what it is. There's no water. They turn against Moses and Aaron. It says the people blamed Moses, <laughs> of course, and said, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. And that could be a reference back to Korah when that rebellion took place. Remember the earth opened up and literally ate these people. They're like, oh, if we could have just died then. You're like, what? Are you, you remember the screams coming from the earth, right? Because you noted that when you, they all ran away scared because they heard these people dying. They're like, Moses, this is all your fault. If only we had died in, in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die? This was your plan all along, wasn't it, Moses? He's like, 40 years? That's my plan? If it was my plan, I would have killed you day one, right? Like, I would have, like, I wouldn't have prayed for you day one, okay? I would have let you drown in the Red Sea with the Egyptians if it was my plan. But they're, they're just turning on them. Why you would have left us in the wilderness to die along with all our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? He's like, okay, if we, we, all we got to do is just go back. If we can hit rewind. You remember Egypt. You remember you were crying out to God for deliverance. You remember that? He's like, you remember, I, yes, I went to Pharaoh. He made your work more complicated, more difficult. And, but you were crying out before that. And then you really started crying out. He's like, I didn't make you do anything. I'm just the guy that showed up because God called me to Egypt to rescue you out of this place. That's my calling. I mean, it, by all technicalities, they could have stayed in Egypt if they wanted to. Right? They all voluntarily were like, let's pack up everything. Their Egyptian neighbors gave them lots of gold and resources. Everybody thought it was a really good idea on that day. The tide quickly changed. And here they are, 40 years later, making the same complaints against this poor old man who's just like, Miriam, you just enjoy where you're at right now, right? He's like, you got it good, sister. He's like, because I'm still stuck here with these people. Him and, him and Aaron. So they're directing all this back out onto Moses, which is just what happens. Um, why did you make us leave Egypt to the, and bring us to this terrible place? Since this place has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. Sometimes the best way to deal with rebellious people is just to bring them back to like, well, what has God said? And you remember when... Let's go back in time, you know, 38 years ago, right? When we sent some spies into the land. And they came back with a good report of like, the grapes, the grapes you're missing. They had big ones, the cluster of grapes. I'm sure there was pomegranates and there was water, milk and honey that speaks of just an abundance of produce. He's like, you said no. You said no. I wanted to go, but you said no. And then I got stuck with you guys for 38 years. Who should be complaining about who? We're like, Moses, this is all your fault. This is all your fault. We don't have any fruit or grains or even water to drink because you brought us out here because you just want us to die. And he's like, oy vey. He's like, oh, okay, Lord. Anytime now, Lord. What's this rapture thing? Hit that button, God. Let's get out of here. That's what I would be doing. <laughs> um, he's 
He's a different kind of leader, though. Moses and Aaron are, you have to give these guys credit, man. They, all that they had to put up with, you know, all the complaining, that, that never changed. But he teaches us a really valuable lesson, Moses and Aaron. They both teach us a very valuable lesson in how to handle complaints and how to handle rebellion. How do you handle those things? You go to God. On your face before the Lord. That's, what, that's how you handle them. Verse 6, it says, Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell face down on the ground or prostrate on the ground. That's an act of worship. And so they're like, here they are again. They're like, God, it's us again. Two brothers. Here we are. You know the drill, Lord. Um, yep, they're complaining again, as if you didn't know that. But here we are. We're going before you on behalf of them. On behalf of them. Incredible leadership. I mean, this is like, this is just, it's, it's remarkable. The love and the patience and the care that these two gentlemen had for a whole congregation of rebels. This isn't the first time they've gone to the Lord on behalf of these guys who literally have in the past picked up stones to kill them. The children of Israel, like, you know, they, they would have given Moses and Aaron like one star reviews on like leadership. They're like, nah, I wouldn't recommend those guys, right? Like, they don't know what they're doing. They, want, they had us wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, right? Like, they are legit leaders who, when faced with whatever, just turn to pray. Just pray. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray for them. That's what they do. They fall face down on the ground to pray. It says, then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So there's a rock that is not the first time this rock has shown up. And Paul lets us know in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I believe, the rock is it's, it's a representation of Jesus. The first instance, the first go around, I think it was Exodus chapter 17, Moses was commanded to strike the rock, and then water gushed forth. Now, there's that rock again, and we, if you go back into Exodus, you know that the, the rock's been following them through the journey. I, don't, I never saw that in the Ten Commandments movie um, with Charlton Heston, right? You guys remember that old throwback? Um, where was the rock scooting around with them, right? You, know, you don't see that, but... Apparently, this rock was with them. And so now all Moses has to do is just speak to the rock, which was already struck. Just speak to it, and it'll pour forth water, water in abundance. Sounds a lot like Jesus. You go to him, and there are living water that is made in abundance to you and to I. And you don't have to strike him because he's already been struck down. You just speak to him. Hey, Lord, I could use some refreshing. You got it. I'm here. I can make that available to you freely. Freely. The rock has already been struck. Now we just get to speak to the rock. It's a beautiful setup, and it's a beautiful little image here in the book of Numbers. Again, this is why we value the Old Testament. It's because the Old Testament's full of cool stories about Jesus. (laughs) All about Jesus. So that's the... uh, the marching order, so to speak. God's like, okay, Moses, here's what you and Aaron are going to do. Take the staff, go over there, speak to the rock, bada bing, bada boom, water. 
pure, unfiltered, beautiful, spring, you know, alkaline levels where they should be, all that good stuff, water, life-giving water. So, verse 9, Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. And here's where it goes wrong. (laughs) He's obedient to a certain point, but half obedience is disobedience. Every time. Half obedience is disobedience. Every single time. So now Moses has their attention. All the church has shown up. He takes his place at the pulpit. And then he starts yelling at the people. That's not a good thing. That's that's really not recommended, um, especially when God hasn't told you to yell at the people. And he hasn't told you to call them names either. Moses goes from praying for these people, like, God, they need water. Lord, I need you to get them some water. <laughs> like, I need, and I also, when's my expiration date? Like, when is, when's my shelf life up? Like, when's this? Can we fast forward that thing? Um, no, okay, then you got to provide these guys some water. And he gets all their attention, and he says, listen, you rebels. Are they rebels? Yes. Do you need to point that out, Moses? You weren't told to in this instant. Yeah, they may be rebelling, but you don't, you don't have to call them that. They know they're rebels. My goodness, they've been rebels for 40 plus years. He wasn't, he wasn't told to call them that. And I don't think they, the offense or the sin is in him calling them rebels, but it gives you a good indication of where his heart is. But then you also take into consideration all the news that has happened in his life. Here you have a guy who just lost his sister. And the immediate thing is complaints from the children of Israel. And not just complaints, but they're blaming him. It's not complaining against him. They're blaming him for everything. So you already have the stress of grief compounded with the stress of leading people who don't want to follow. And he's just had it. He's like, listen, you rebels. That's probably nice. That's probably as nice as he could be, right? It says he shouted this. Must we bring you water from this rock? Who's the we? Hold on, Moses. God will bring the water from the rock. He didn't ask you to bring any water from the rock. He just told you to speak to the rock. So you can see where I think Moses is just like, he's set up, and somehow or another he... He just, uh, maybe this is like him, just like one last kind of little thing of just frustration of like, I'm going to prove to you that I'm in charge kind of a thing. We don't know what's going on here with him. All I know is this is a man who is probably just heavy laden and burdened. He's like, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water from this rock? No, no. Must he bring you water from this rock is what it should have been. But again, He's not a perfect guy. It says that Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff, and water gushed out. So the entire community and the livestock drank their fill. So God still worked the miracle with Moses, even though Moses was disobedient. He was disobedient. And that shows, like, the Lord can still move when the leaders are disobedient, Okay. And just because there's this great movement going on doesn't mean that the leader is always in tune with God. Can't give leaders too much credit. They certainly don't deserve as much as sometimes they get. You have to be cautious on putting anybody like a Moses or whoever it may be, any pastor, leader on any kind of pedestal. They don't deserve it. 
And just because some cool stuff is happening, God is answering prayers and all that stuff, doesn't mean that that, I mean, here Moses is in flat-out rebellion against God. God said, do it this way. And Moses is like, I'm going to do it my way. It worked the first time, I'm going to do it the second time. Now I'm not just going to strike it once, I'm going to strike it twice. God's like, I told you just to speak to it. So he's flat out rebellion, and God still answers the prayer. Why? Because the people need water. The people still need water. You see that happen within churches sometimes, where like the, the pastor or the leadership can be just like full-on rebellion against God, but people are still like getting saved. Why? Because God cares about his people. He'll deal with the leader. God always deals with leaders. Always. Always. And he'll deal with leaders to a higher standard than just sometimes normal, average churchgoers, if I can use that language. Not that anybody's normal or average, right? We're family of God. Everybody's on the same level. Um, but if you have a title, any kind of title of leadership that, that bears any kind of leadership, you are held to a higher standard of accountability. And you have to answer to that. And so Moses, because he is the leader that God is using, both him and Aaron, Aaron is included in this because Aaron is probably consenting with Moses on his actions. That no, we don't get any instances that Aaron's like, whoa, whoa, hold on, he didn't say strike it, he said speak to it. Okay? We just have Aaron just probably there like, dude, hit it again. Like, like yes, teach him, like, show him, Moses, I'm sick of this too, right? They both were guilty. They both were guilty of it. Verse 12, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me, because you didn't trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I'm giving them. That's a, that's a heavy price. But that's what Moses stood in disobedience to God as a representative of God to the people. And, and the Lord nails him on it. He's like, you didn't trust me enough. You didn't trust me. I said, speak to the rock, Moses. So at the heart of the issue, it could have been a trust issue. I think you couple all that stuff with just everything that we know of what's going on with the story. It's He disobeys God, and God's like, okay, you don't get to go to the promised land. Just so you know, the promised land's not heaven, okay? So it's not like he's like, oh, that's it, Moses. You're out forever, right? No, it's you don't get to lead him into the promised land after 40 years of suffering with these people. I mean, it was that, you were like, it's that one thing where you, you're just watching somebody, you're like, you were so close, right? He didn't trust God, and he misrepresented God to the people. And God takes that stuff very seriously. He's like, okay, you're out, both you and Aaron. You don't get to lead the people to where I've been trying to get them at. There's a heavy, heavy price tag with leadership when we misrepresent the Lord. He cares about his people. But just as much as he cares about his people, he cares about the leaders that he puts in place as well. Leadership is not something that is, should be desired all the time because, again, it comes with accountability. You don't get to go in. Verse 13, this place was known as the waters of Mirbah, which means arguing or contention or this bickering, whatever synonym you want to use there. But it's this place of just... Sadness is really kind of what it is. This has been another edition of Bread for the Broken, and all of us here are so glad that you joined us today. 
The message you just heard was from the Book of Numbers, where Pastor James has been camping out. Our existence could definitely be seen as dotted with hills, valleys, streams, and rivers, couldn't it? I wonder if we would realize the evidence of God in our lives if we were to map it out on a piece of paper. You'd see where he showed up and where he corrected behavior or maybe where he changed our course. Numbers is a book detailing the Israelites' desert stay after leaving Egypt. In it, we can see how disobedience and defiance don't go unnoticed. God is patient, but there comes a point when our actions deserve redirection, deserve a consequence. We can't follow God and obey what He says if our eyes are always focused on ourselves or our circumstances. So, what do you think? Are you ready for a shift in focus? Are you ready to find hope and new life in Jesus? If so, we'd love to pray with you and walk through that decision with you here at Bread for the Broken. Just visit us at breadforthebroken.com. Another way that you can connect with us is through our Facebook live stream. It's a great way to connect and learn from afar. We're a laid-back church in Galveston, Texas, that just wants to magnify Jesus at all ages. Will you help us in this mission? On our website, breadforthebroken.com, there's a donation link. It's easy to use, so we encourage you to check it out. We're so glad that you were able to sit and soak in the words of Jesus today with Pastor James. We look forward to meeting with you again next time, here on Bread for the Broken.